Hey, theater people, Patrick here. I am so, so, so excited that the day is finally here for me to share our new podcast with you. As a lot of you already know, our new podcast, which is a partnership with the fabulous people at Today Ticks, is called Broadway Backstory. Each episode finds out how a show develops from an idea to a full Broadway production. And the best part is that we get the story from the people who lived it. The conceivers, writers, directors, composers, actors, even the theater owners. Our first two episodes tell the incredible true backstory of the Tony-winning In the Heights. We're playing the first 20 minutes of the first episode for you right here. But the complete first two episodes are available right now. Just search for Broadway Backstory in iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any place else you get your podcasts, and you can download the first two episodes in their entirety right now. Also, hit the subscribe button so you'll automatically get our new episodes as they go up. Also, you, our listeners, get to pick our seventh and final episode of season one. Go to todaytix.com slash broadwaybackstory to see the shows you get to pick from, and you can vote once per day. Okay, you guys, I've said it before, creatively, this is the hardest I've ever worked on anything ever in my life. I'm super proud of Broadway Backstory, and I can't wait for you to hear it. So let's get to it now. From Today Ticks and Theater People, this is Broadway Backstory, the podcast that finds out how shows go from an idea to a full Broadway production. I'm your host, Patrick Hines. For our first two episodes, we're getting the backstory of In the Heights, the 2008 Tony Drama Desk and Obie Award winning and Pulitzer Prize nominated hip hop musical. Through conversations with the show's creator, Lynn Manuel Miranda, director Tommy Kale, its producers, actors, and a whole slew of other people who in some way contributed to the show's success, we'll find out how In the Heights went from a college project to the groundbreaking Broadway hit. Lin-Manuel Miranda began working on In the Heights in 1999 as a sophomore at Wesleyan University, where he was a double major in film and theater. He'd written 20-minute musicals in high school, but this was to be his first full-length piece. And so like a lot of young writers, he started writing about what he knew, the neighborhood where he grew up in northern Manhattan called Washington Heights, and how it was different, he realized, than what people commonly thought of it. First of all, how many people do we still know today? They hear Upper Manhattan and they shrug and right. they think crime, even though crime has never been lower. It's actually home of like more small businesses than mm-hmm. any other part of Manhattan and, um, and a place where I grew up. And um, I'm sure drugs exist. I'm sure crimes exist like they do anywhere else in New York. But that wasn't my experience growing up. Yeah. Um, I'm much more in line with the salon owners and the bodega owners and the, the small businesses. Um, so uh, I wanted to tell a story like that. Another reason he felt his neighborhood would make a good setting for a musical was because of the variety of sounds he grew up listening to there. He said to me once, Washington Heights lends itself so nicely to a musical because there is music coming out of every pore of that place. The soundtrack changes with every block. So as he started to write, he knew the sound he was trying to create. The musical landscape of Latin music and hip-hop music and sort of, but like with an old-school sort of Broadway heart to it. He also wanted the piece to be about love and acceptance, particularly of gay people within the Latino community. This was a central theme in In the Heights as he worked on the show at Wesleyan. It stemmed from an experience he'd had a year and a half earlier, just after his high school graduation. My best friend since kindergarten um, came out to me uh, the summer before our freshman year in college. He was like, he was going to go start his new life, yeah. you know, out of the city. And... Um, I was blindsided, by the way, um, because um, I just, I, I, 
I wasn't even checking for that. It was not even something in my worldview. <laughs> yeah. In retrospect, it's incredibly obvious. He loved AMC and watched All About Eve like every weekend. That's a great movie, you <laughs> it's guys. It's a great movie, and I watched it with him. Um, it was a great movie. So I had sort of one of those Finding Nemo like, this moment, this moment, of course, stupid, of course. Um, but I also was sort of... Um, I felt uh, this burden of the weight he must have felt. Um, you know, and it's not like we went to, you know, we went to high school in New York City. It was not a, you know, it was a pretty cosmopolitan place. There was an LGBT club uh, at our school. Um, but still, the weight of, of holding all that in. Um, and uh, And I sort of... You know, when it's your best friend, you take it on and you put yourself in, in his shoes. And so that became one of the characters in In the Heights. These were the themes that were on his mind as he began to create In the Heights in his dorm room at Wesleyan. Hi, I'm Owen Panettieri. So much of the In the Heights backstory took place at Wesleyan that I wanted to talk to someone other than Lynn who had been a part of it there. So I reached out to Lynn's friend, Owen. Um, Lynn and I met in probably the winter of... 1999? I think that's probably it. It was my um, sophomore year of college and his freshman year. And we were in a production of Jesus Christ Superstar together. And he was Jesus and I was Pilate. And uh, we have been friends ever since. And what was what was he like in college? He was pretty much the same as he is now, to be honest with you. Um, he's the same kind of guy. Very easygoing. Everybody... You know, had a a very good opinion of him, and uh, he was very friendly, and, and he's just the same guy that he is now, to be honest with you. Did he, like, run around the campus freestyle rapping about everything? He did not do that. What are your earliest memories of, like, the rumblings of what became In the Heights? The first thing was sort of the, the fall of uh, 99. He did maybe a song and a scene from it that was that he was developing from in the heights and i read one of the parts and there was two songs yeah so i there was i read one of the parts and i sang one of the songs um and it was basically between this character lincoln and this character benny um and the night they were having um and that was sort of the start of the the show so that was the very very first thing uh, that was done at wesleyan with that Wait, so you were you were literally in the very 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 first production of in the heights I, I was in the very, very first reading of it, but I didn't do the, the full production in the spring. So, but yes, the very, very first presentation of what it was. I do have that claim to fame. <laughs> that full production that Owen just mentioned, the one he didn't do, was the next big step for In the Heights. Lynn applied to Wesleyan's second stage, which is the school's student-run volunteer organization that helps students mount original work. The organization granted him space at the school's 92 theater, and Lynn worked tirelessly on the show over his winter break and into the spring semester of his sophomore year. And then, on April 27th in the year 2000, the first ever production of In the Heights premiered to standing room only crowds. It was an 80-minute one-act with 14 songs. Here's Lynn describing the plot of the show back then. It was Benny and Nina and their romance, and Lincoln, who was in love with his best friend Benny, um, Nina's brother, and uh, and sort of holding it in. And they was sort of revealed at the end that he was that these love songs that he'd been writing was but would never play for anyone were actually about his friend, um, and that was the big twist. <laughs> As Owen remembers it, that production was a huge hit. Uh, it was very very popular. The line for the show was. Enormous. It was it was really crazy, even by any sort of typical standard of what a student theater production would be, because um, everybody 
uh, at that point really sort of knew Lynn in the theater community and and um, was very excited for uh, the show and the music. Around the time Lynn was working on that first production of In the Heights at Wesleyan, four upperclassmen who didn't know Lynn were hatching a plan to start a theater company. The formation of this company, which they eventually called Backhouse Productions, would be instrumental in bringing In the Heights to New York. Here's Tommy Kale, who would go on to direct In the Heights in all of its future incarnations. So you you guys started Backhouse Productions. We did. did. you start that in college? Uh, I mean, uh, uh, sort of uh, unofficially we started it in college. So when I was a junior in college, my friend Anthony Benizziali, asked me to come and work on a show to assist him on this show and the first person we cast was a guy named John Mailer and the last person we cast was a guy named Neil Stewart the four of us ended up forming Backhouse Productions so we did this show together my junior year of college and sort of just realized that we complemented each other very very nicely that the things that they could do um, fit pretty well with the things that um, that I couldn't do <laughs> um, and so we just started making stuff in college Anthony then graduated and then I graduated um, and we sort of were waiting for John and Neil to graduate. As fate would have it, while John and Neil were still in school, they went to see that production of In the Heights at the 92 Theater. They heard this early version of In the Heights when they went to go see the student production of it. And then they sent us the CD and the script saying, hey, when we start that company that we talked about at 3.30 in the morning, we should do this musical by this kid, Lynn Miranda. The only problem was that they would have to wait a few years. I first heard a demo CD from Heights in 2000. And then Lynn didn't graduate till 2002. In the two years between Tommy hearing the In the Heights demo and Backhouse Productions beginning to work on the show in New York City, another significant piece of the puzzle fell into place. Backhouse Productions was given a permanent home and workplace in the basement theater of the Drama Bookshop on 40th Street. How did you guys get that gig? Like, how did you make the Drama Bookshop thing happen? A gentleman by the name of Alan Hubby, who is still there and runs the bookshop. I tracked Alan down at the bookshop. He is a lovely man. He agreed to chat with me for a few minutes in the office. The Drama Bookshop was founded by the Drama League in 1917, 99 years ago, and was run out of their offices on 42nd Street until the 1920s, and they opened up a shop on 45th Street. My uncle, Arthur, started working in the bookshop sometime in the 50s, and the owner of the shop, Marjorie uh, Zeligman, gave him the shop in 1957. I came to visit my aunt and my uncle in 1978 for summer vacation. I was in college, and I came to to meet them at the shop, and there was fire engines parked outside the shop and water pouring down the stairs. There had been a fire in the shop. The fire department had been across the street putting out another fire when they had to notice that the bookshop was on fire, so there was very little damage done. But the office and the rare book collection, all of his first signed first editions, were destroyed. And they needed to have a, a catalog done for insurance purposes. So I spent that summer sitting in a, a moldy, wet, fourth floor, going through books and writing down Tennessee Williams autographed, cast, hardcover, Cat on Hot Tin Roof, Death of a Salesman, all those books. There were several thousands of them for the insurance. And then I went back and finished college, and then I came back and work, came back to work because I just loved the shop. How did it end up in this location on 40th Street? Well... Um, Arthur had a partner, and they, they, they were sort of breaking up in the, in the 70s, and um, he wanted to be bought out. He wanted a lot of money, they, and they couldn't sign a new lease until he, they came to an agreement. So my, my uncle got a temporary location at 48th, uh, 47th and 7th, 48th and 7th, I'm sorry, and they were there for 20 years until they, until they turned that building into a restaurant. So they had to find a place. This place was open. It was 2001. 8th Avenue was 
uh, sort of dicey. 40th Street was a very diff- had a very different character then. This place was very was very affordable. It was huge compared to what we were used to. At the theater downstairs, like it was like a gift. Tell me how these these guys, this band of characters, came came into your life, into your shop's life. So we we got the lease here in February of two thousand and one, and it was. The place was a mess, and it took us a long time to clean up and get ready. I think it was around it was around August or so of that year when a friend of mine, who's no longer with us, who was a who was an alumni of Wesleyan University, brought in Tommy Kale and three other guys to start a, a theater company, and they needed a home. And I thought, well, great, we've got this extra space here. Why doesn't the drama bookshop have a resident theater company? Here's Tommy Kale again. They basically had this room which was about, you know, I don't know, 15 by 35, and it was painted white and kind of dusty. And Alan said, I would like you guys to make this into a black box. And we stood in the middle of that, you know, <laughs> that room and said, do you have any black paint? And he said, sure. And then we said, do you have any chairs? And he said, yes. And he said, all right, then we'll make it into a theater. And he basically let us program the space, keep it active, and then he gave us a desk and a phone and a computer. And so Backhouse then became the resident theater company of the Drama Bookshop. And so for the next year or so, Backhouse Productions put up all sorts of amazing new works. But, of course, they weren't making any money. And I'd be remiss not to tell you about Tommy's day job during that time. If I'm not mistaken, at the same time, or at somewhere in there, you were assisting Audra McDonald. Is that right? For most of that, yeah. I started working for Audra in August of 2001 and then worked for her until probably about February of 2005. So oh, wow. about, about three and a half years. How did you get that job? When I moved to New York and needed a job, I was on unemployment and... Was you know I had like eight more weeks of of unemployment. Andy Gale, who is a very dear friend of mine still, and introduced me to Audra on July fourth of two thousand one, and I met her and her little baby was very small, who'd been born earlier that year, and she was looking for someone just to be on the ground and kind of like run errands and and support her, you know. So she had agents and was you know sort of represented in that way, but just kind of needed someone to do a lot of the day to day stuff and. We then, maybe like a month after that, in the beginning of August 2001, went out to have a meal, and um, we got along really well, and she asked me to start to work for her. So I, I started working for her at the end of August of, of 2001. In the spring of 2002, Tommy and the guys from Backhouse Productions reconnected with Lynn, who was about to graduate from Wesleyan and move home to New York City. So I went up to see Lynn's senior project, which was not in the Heights. It was another musical he had written. I went up with the Backhouse group. The, the four of us went up there. We sort of reintroduced ourselves to Lynn. We had been communicating with him a little bit before then saying, hey, we did end up starting a theater company. Would you like to come and work on this show that you wrote two years ago and have probably not thought about very often since then? We, we then invited him you know, to come down. I guess he graduated end of May. And then Lynn came to the drama bookshop in June of 2002 and we just never stopped talking. It was just one very long conversation that is now stretching into its 13th or 14th year. Um, and that, so that's when I really started working with him was June of 2002. This is probably when I met you. It was close to Yeah, there, right? right around that time. This is the point in the story where I make a small cameo about nine months after Tommy and Lynn started working together. I knew Tommy a little bit through a friend I worked with at a restaurant. At the time, I was also a freelance writer trying to publish for LGBT newspapers and magazines. Since one of the main characters in In the Heights was gay, and central to the plot was his coming out, Tommy reached out to me because he thought I'd be interested in writing about the dichotomy of gay themes and characters in the hip-hop musical, and I was interested. So Tommy arranged for Lynn and me to spend an afternoon together and talk about the show. It was Lynn's first ever interview, and it would be the first piece ever published about him and In the Heights. I reminded Lynn about this when we sat for our most recent interview. I was just realizing that the last time you and I sat down for an interview was 2003. 
Was it 2000? Was it that long? I ago? just looked. I just reread the article before coming today, wow. and I looked at the date, and it was 2003. That is pre everything. Yeah, some stuff has happened for you since then. Yes, that was my first. Well, I, I remember because it was my first interview I ever did as a person. I'm, as like, <laughs> I, as a, you're being interviewed as a writer. Was it about Proto in the Heights? I mean, yeah, it yeah, 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 yeah. It was. It was way. It was way back. Because that was before. Kevin McCollum and Jeffrey Seller even signed on. Completely. I mean, that was no. when it was just me and Tommy in the basement with exactly. Backhouse. Yes, exactly right. And it was you guys had just done the workshop with Kerry Washington in the Kerry <laughs> right. Washington. You guys, yeah. Uh, you're like, yeah, whatever. Well, she she never actually made it to the workshop. She said, "I'm going to go do this little movie called Ray." And we'll be like, "All right, see you soon. good luck with that. See you soon." Oh my god, and I never saw her again. <laughs> Lynn said that that 2003 interview happened pre everything. But really, it was right at the beginning of everything. I did record that interview, but I don't have the audio of it anymore. It was 13 years ago, after all. And it's too bad, because this would be the perfect place to use it. However, there was a moment in our 2014 interview that was really reminiscent of the things he said back in 2003. So I'm going to play that here instead, because I think it really encapsulates where his head was at, just as things were about to start to happen for In the Heights. I saw Tick, Tick, Boom three times off-Broadway my senior year in college, and it was like the bat signal. It was like, here's what's going to happen. Um, here's what your life is going to look like. And there's parts of it that are great and there's parts of it that suck. But you're going to go through all of it. Um, you know, relationships that end because you are going to go on this road and other people are going to go other ways. I can't tell you how many friends I graduated with who were all going to conquer New York City mm-hmm. and how many friends just found – and it's not like a bad guy ending. It's like they found happiness somewhere else and they found stability somewhere else while I was the one person in the in – yeah. like I was the roommate who stayed in the cheap rent place while other people got married and other people moved out of town. Um, and uh, so – I understood that struggle. I understood the uh, the relationships ending because, well, I'm doing this. And if our relationship means you're not going to let me do this, then you got to go. Uh-huh. Um, and th- I'm always going to choose this. Um, and and the price that comes with that, again, you know, while you watch the rest of the world through a window, while you finish that um, – and and also the the urgency feeling of a ticking clock um, was something I that really resonated with me. Here's a preview of the rest of episode one and episode two of Broadway Backstory. What I knew how to do was create s- structure, and I knew how to find people to uh, to assemble and and get together and 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 push this thing forward. But I didn't know producers. And he said, you should go see um, this little show that's being workshopped in the basement of the drama bookshop. And he said, it's a Latino rent. And I said, okay, everything's a something rent at this point, but I'll go check it out. And I said the first line, which ultimately was the, Vanessa, I'm thirsty, coño, you know. And the whole room started laughing. And uh, I was like, okay, good. They hear it too. They know who this lady is too. There was this minor character that sort of ran the bodega named Usnavi, and I knew, okay, that's the guy who wrote this. And every time that guy opened his mouth in this version of In the Heights, I wanted to know more. He had written the book, Music and Lyrics, originally, but um, it was just, he was biting off more than he could chew, and he's not, you know, he, by his own admission, he would say he's not a book writer. He gave Tommy and I tickets to Avenue Q, and there's, you know, Rod and his right, best friend. of course. And he has this song called Fantasies Come True, and he's in love with his best friend, and I go, oh, shit. 
That's our plot. <laughs> um, not only is it our plot, by the way, Avenue Q did it way better and funnier than I did it. A couple weeks before we closed off-Broadway, we have a, a cast meeting with the producers and Jeffrey sitting there and, Je- and, you know, Jill and Jeffrey and Kevin are like, well, we just want to let you know that we're going to Broadway. We're like, yeah, but we don't know when. <laughs> we're like, wah, wah. <laughs> Charles Isherwood called Lynn a singular sensation, and um, and he, he, I think he likened him to Ethel Merman. Just, I just had a couple of couplets in my head that I had sort of in the chamber. If I win, it'll be easier for me to say it and make it rhyme than to, if I get emotional and speak from the heart, it'll get all blubbery and no one will enjoy that. The 2008 Tony Award goes to In the Heights. Okay, theater people, run, do not walk to iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Search for Broadway Backstory and download the rest of Episode 1 and all of Episode 2 to hear the incredible true backstory of the Tony winning In the Heights. We have such an exciting season for you. The other shows we're covering in Season 1 are Fun Home, the 25th Annual Putnam County Spelling Bee, The Secret Garden, the Deaf West production of Spring Awakening, and Legally Blonde. And you, our listeners, get to vote on the show that you want us to cover for our season finale. Head to todaytix.com slash Backstory to see the shows that you get to pick from, and you can vote once per day. I love you, theater people, and I really hope you'll follow us on this new adventure.